We're finishing up a series today on discipleship called Hollow Follow, because at the end of the day, church, if we're saying we are in love with Jesus Christ, we truly want to follow Him, we want to be all in, what's a life look like that is absolutely on fire for Jesus Christ? What does a life look like that says, I'm cashing all the chips in, I want to be everything He's called me to be? And so in this series, we've looked at what is the call to discipleship? What does that look like in our life? And we started three weeks ago talking about indifference. And church, we want to be impassioned people for Christ, don't we? I mean, we want to be impassioned people for Christ, don't we? There it is. We truly do. We want to live for Him each and every day. And so Jesus says in Revelation 3 that you're neither hot nor cold because you're lukewarm. I'm just going to, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And we want to be people who are absolutely hot for Jesus Christ, on fire. We want to be that person. And last week we took a look at empty worship and understanding that worship truly is every single day of our life. It is not just a Sunday morning event and experience, but it's everything we do every second of the day. It's how we have our relationships and how we do in the workplace and what hobbies we have and and how we act when we're waiting in traffic or in the line at Walmart. All of that is worship to God. We want to give Him our very best every single day. And today we're going to talk about something that's pretty difficult, and I want you to know that I'm always preaching to myself first, but we're going to talk about hypocrisy today. That's a tough one, because we can all, if we're true to ourselves, admit that we've been there before in our spiritual life. What is really spiritual hypocrisy? And it's really living out this idea that I say one thing and I do something else. And we've all known people, and maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we can verify that, yes, in our own life, we've been that way, that way too. I'm remembering a story about maybe 20 years ago when we lived in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Our boys were very young, and we had taken a trip about an hour south to Oklahoma City where we're going to do some shopping at the, the mall there, Quell Springs Mall. And uh, as you uh, approach the mall, after you get off I-35, there is a, a two-lane road, and it's one way and gets to the mall, there's a turnpike in between, and then the other side is the other two lanes that are going the opposite direction. Well, we had been at the mall, and we had done our shopping, we'd done whatever we went to do, and it was time to go home, and old Tim was ready to get home. I was tired. And so we got on that two-lane road that goes one way, and just as we turned on, right in front of me is three motorcycles, and they're taking up all two lanes. And they're just having a little chat together and enjoying their day and just back and forth, probably maybe maybe 10 miles under the speed limit. And they're just taking the sun in and it's a, a wonderful day. Little do they know that other people exist in the world. It's true. And they're just tooling along until finally they decide that they get to their location where they're going to tur- turn in. It's a guy and two ladies uh, and they turn into this parking lot. And so I thought it was my my right, my position to let them know, hey, other people do exist. And so I laid on the horn just to let them know, hey, people are behind you and we're waiting. Well, I laid on it so hard and scared the guy so bad, he laid his motorcycle over. I didn't hurt him. I know y'all are shocked, but it's okay. <laughs> so I'm tooling on down the road and I look in the rear view and he's, he's not hurt at all because what he does is he picks the motorcycle up and he gets back on the road right behind me. Oh yeah, you see it coming. He pulls up beside me, and he is talking to me through my window, and I'm looking straight ahead, just like, I'm at the, just like I'm at the police department, straight ahead. I'm not answering any questions. And the boys are behind me in the back seat going, hey, Dad, that guy's right beside you. You should roll the window down and see what he's saying. I said, no, I'm pretty sure you don't want to hear what he's saying. 
You know, that's one of those examples of, you know, I preach grace and patience and long-suffering and offering mercy, and that day I didn't show it at all. And if we're honest in our own lives, we have moments like that, don't we? Where we really say, look, I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a true follower, I'm all in, but then there are days when we kind of drop the ball and we don't, we don't do what we say we're going to do. And my guess is that you probably got people in your friend group or maybe in your neighborhood that, that might say something like, yeah, I don't go to church because of the hypocrites that live inside the church building. And a lot of people have walked away from Jesus because of the life that I exemplify at times that don't represent Jesus very well. And maybe you've had that experience in your own life as well. Maybe you had parents that were very involved in church work and everyone just sang their praises and thought they were awesome. But then at home, you saw they were very different people. They acted different, talked different, treated you differently. Or maybe somewhere along the line, you were married to someone who was very involved in leading a ministry. But then the other six days of the week while you're home, you suffer emotional and mental abuse from that same person. Maybe there was a summer where, where you had absolutely trusted uh, a minister at the church, maybe the youth minister, and then they took advantage of that trust somewhere in the context of that summer. And you have seen and experienced moments when people who profess to be followers of Christ lack in really showing that all the time. Brennan Manning, who wrote Ragamuffin Gospel says it like this. He says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is when an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so many times in our life, church, I, I, I fear that, that we're there. I know that I am there more times than I care to admit and so we want to start out this morning just kind of clarifying what is hypocrisy and what, what is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. It is not what we do and what we wish we did. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. It's what we allow the public to see, but then who we really are in our heart of hearts. It's the difference between public persona and private character. And we've looked at this whole week, we'll look at it today too, that Jesus doesn't want the show. Jesus wants real discipleship. And he wants us to follow him as closely as we can, so close that the dust of the rabbi actually settles upon us. Where, where do we get that word Hypocrite. Well, it comes out of the Greek culture and uh, Greek language, and a hypocrite is another name for a stage actor, literally, in the Greek world. And so there are people who obviously uh, don different clothing, maybe makeup on the face, sometimes they wear a mask and they're on stage. That's not who they really are. They're really who you see in the public life. And so a hypocrite in spiritual terms is someone who claims one thing but then acts totally different than where he's truly at. And the word tells us that Jesus despises followers that live that hypocritical life. Paul knew this. He's got a great section of scripture in the book of Titus, the letter he wrote. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. 
This is especially true for those who insist on circumcision for salvation. Now, I want to stop right there and just do a little sidebar and invite you back next week. Cale and I are going to be team preaching and teaching on the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians for about six weeks. And so if you want to get a head start, start reading the book of Galatians. It is a fabulous uh, treatise that Paul gives us on what freedom in Christ really does look like. And so it's going to be a great six weeks to be together. Come back next week. Paul in our text back in Titus says in verse 16, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing any good. And Paul calls us out as disciples saying, listen, we're called to a certain kind of life. We're called to be the light of the world, allowing Jesus to shine through us and be Jesus where we find ourselves each and every day. But there are some who lack the ability to do that. And you've known these people in your life too. There's some folks who are very generous and very giving because they want to be seen doing that. Jesus addressed that in all of his ministry. There, there are folks who, who love to be heard by those around them. And Jesus addressed that in his ministry, those, those Pharisees that pray on the street corners so that everyone can hear what they have to say. Jesus admonished those who fast. Hey, comb your hair, wash your face. Don't let others know that you're fasting. But there were some in Jesus' day who wanted everyone to know, this is how I'm serving. This is what I'm doing. I'm taking one for the team. There are moments when you criticize other folks for doing similar things in your own life. And Jesus showed disgust for that kind of living. He says, I want you to be my full-blown disciple. I want you to come alongside me. I want you to live like I lived. In the last week of his life before his crucifixion, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and the first place that he goes is the temple. Now, the temple is organized in such a way there, there's the actual temple proper, and then there are courtyards for certain people to go and worship. And the closest courtyard to the temple was for adult Jewish men. Jesus was on his way to that, that courtyard when he comes into Jerusalem. And then behind the men, a little further away, is the courtyard for Jewish women. And then there's the courtyard for those that have been ill or sick. They can go to worship once they've been told by the priest that they're now clean. And the furthest courtyard away from the temple is the one for the Greeks. In other words, people who are non-Jews but believe in Yahweh and they go to worship him. That's the first courtyard that Jesus comes to. Now, I want you to imagine this picture for a moment. I'll try to paint it for you. Take a look around the room and see how we're all kind of lined up. We've got the chairs. We've come together. We've sang together. We've gathered around the Lord's table to celebrate his death and resurrection together. We're digging into the word of God together. And in the context of all this, imagine this. In the Greek courtyard, while people are worshiping, there are vendors and merchants set up at tables all around. And they are changing money. They're selling doves and pigeons. They're, they're selling goats and sheep. And to make the access easier for those who were Jewish, they actually had a road right through the middle of the courtyard from one side to the other so they wouldn't have to go out and around. So imagine while we're singing, we are here for you, there's a guy dragging three donkeys right here across the front of our worship hall. We laugh at that, but that's literally what's happening when Jesus enters the courtyard. 
And Jesus goes on and he flips the money changer tables and he drives out the merchants because he wants everyone to know this is a place to worship and pray to our incredible God. This isn't a marketplace. Jewish people, you're supposed to be the light of the world. You're supposed to be drawing every person to worship Yahweh. And yet, this is how you disrespect the life I've called you to live. This is my Father's house of worship. It's not a supermarket. And so that story brings us to our text today in Matthew chapter 23. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We'll be there for just a little bit. This particular chapter is one that most people know as the seven woes that Jesus prescribes on the Pharisees. And he's about to go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day and give them what for. He's going, to, he's going to try to wake them up and remind them of the hypocritical lifestyle that they live as they lead the nation of God. And so Jesus says in verse 27, he, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is reminding those who would say, I follow God. Look, you look great on the outside. You're dressed to the nines. You've got it all spruced up. The hair is just right. You you look great praying on the corner, but the fact is you're doing all of this for show and your heart is not in sync with God. You're not as close to God as you pretend that you are. It's this illusion of public virtue. One of the current postmodern areas that is great to cultivate, cultivate that kind of idea is in our social media. We talk about social media a lot because it's so ubiquitous. We all are on social media. Raise your hand if you have an app that is social media related. Raise your hand. Yep, all of us. Some of you are holding out. I know that you're lying. <laughs> all of us. We all have social media. But that's the place where we post things like these great marriage quotes about how awesome marriage is, and then in our own home, we're actually sleeping in different bedrooms. It's the place where I say, hey, everything's going great in my life. Let me show you pictures of what I'm doing. But the fact is, within you, you are lonely, depressed, and isolated, and hurting. Earlier this summer, I read a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you haven't read that book, I want to encourage you to do so, The Cost of Discipleship. And Dietrich was a Lutheran priest living in Germany pre-World War II and during World War II. He lost his life at the very end of the war. But in this book, he basically unpacks the entire Gospel of Matthew. And if I could summarize what, what Dietrich is saying in the book, it's this. You belong to God, end of discussion. There's no but God. There's no, well, what if? It's just, no, God paid for you with his son's blood. Therefore, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are 100% in his court. It's not that you reserve a little piece of your life to do with what you want to. No. Dietrich, it's hard. It's a hard book to read. It's challenging. And so we're called to let the Spirit work within us. There's hope in this text in, in chapter 23 of Matthew as well. And I want to go there for just a minute. In verse 25, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits for you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Here's the hope. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Jesus is saying, allow the Holy Spirit to come within you. Work on yourself first. Allow His Spirit to change who you are and be a different person. And then everything else is going to line up in your life. It'll be as it should. It'll be an outflow of the Spirit working in your own life. And that's the call this morning is that we would allow that Holy Spirit to work in our life and change us to be different and better people. I grew up a preacher's kid. Still am a preacher's kid, I guess. My dad is still preaching a little bit. Um, but I was the firstborn, and so I felt a real need to, first of all, in the culture I was raised in many, many years ago, it was be seen and not heard, and so I tried really hard to do that. I uh, tried to make sure to follow the rules, because as a number one born child, that was my goal, you know, to follow the rules. There's a certain way to do things. Uh, and I, I memorized scripture, because that's what my dad wanted me to do. I knew the stories in, in the gospel, I knew the stories throughout the Bible. If you came to me and asked, hey, where is so-and-so? I could say, oh, that's probably 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's go there and take a look. I mean, I could tell you where things were at a very young age. Even in high school, I would debate other high school friends of mine to prove that their particular religion was wrong and why mine was right. But I did it all because it was all about me. It wasn't about Jesus Christ. I didn't have my own faith yet. I had my parents' faith. And I took that, that mentality into my young adulthood until I finally got so tired of wearing two masks. I finally had to make a decision. Am I going to live for me or am I going to give everything back to God? And thank God I made the right decision. I went back to God. One thing I meant to mention, my first sermon, I was in the fifth grade. Fifth grade. I still have, it was on a cassette tape, and now I have it on a CD. Some of you don't know what cassette tape is. See me after. <laughs> but as a fifth grader, my opening words to my sermon were, you adulterous people. <laughs> That's a great line, isn't it? Now, I was reading Scripture. I was reading Scripture. That's kind of funny, I thought. Fifth grader. What we have to understand is that Jesus cannot stomach someone who is not all in. Revelation is a reminder. He says, I want to vomit you out. You're neither hot nor cold, lukewarm. But the other piece of that is there is unlimited grace for a sinner church who needs forgiveness. There's unlimited grace. So anyone that comes to Jesus and says, look, I'm ready to drop the mask. I want to be all in. I want to follow you 100%. Heal me, redeem me, make me different, adopt me, change me, your Holy Spirit within me. Every single time, church, Jesus will say yes. That's a, that's a hallelujah moment, church. Thank you. That's an incredible thing to know that we can be far away from God, as Gary mentioned in his communion thought. We can be far away, but he's always waiting with open arms. For those of us who say, look, I want to be different. I've made some mistakes in the past, and I want, to, I want to hang that up. And if you're anything like me, there are moments when you go, yeah, but, but what about, what if, but God, because I know what I did five years ago or last year or last month, and I'm not sure God can forgive that. Let me tell you something, church. Our God is big enough to forgive anything. 
You're never too far away from God. He's always waiting for you to come home. And there's nothing to fear when you have absolutely nothing to hide. I love what the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 28 when he says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Church, as long as we are trying to play the game where we're wearing different masks, we will not prosper. Things will not go well for us. So you might be asking this morning, well, where are those places where I can just be honest and authentic and real with where I'm at in my walk? And I want to submit to you that our connect groups are one of those places. It's a place where we can just say, guys, right now, this is where I'm at. And you can be received with open arms where we'll pray with you and over you. We'll dig into the Word of God and see how we're called. We'll support each other in the process. It's a great place where you won't be shamed. I remember in my early adulthood when I realized that I needed to use the key to unlock my prison. Because I have it. You have your own key as well, by the way. Confession is that key. Let myself out. And I thought, okay, this is what I need to do, but if I do it, I feel like I'm probably going to lose everybody. My friends that I talked to, what I found church was the absolute opposite. All of my fears were just the whispers of Satan in my ear. Don't do it. And when I finally told others what was going on in my life, I was met with embraces and love and support and whispers in my ear, I'm not going anywhere. And I know that you want that in your life as well. I mean, church, we all need a place to say, what I'm about to tell you, I've never told anyone in my life, and it needs to be a safe place. Will you listen to me? Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me? See, confession is that key to freedom, and freedom is so sweet. And church, we have that kind of freedom in Jesus Christ. It's in Him that we find peace that we're looking for. It's where we find that release that we're looking for. And you might be looking for a, a ministry that's kind of a, that, that group of people other than our Connect group. And our Celebrate Recovery ministry right here, Tuesday nights at 6.30 in our youth room on the other side of this wall, that's a group of people that says, we're tired of wearing the mask. We just want to be real for Jesus. Here's my struggle. And collectively, they come together and support one another. We as a church support each other. It's so important that we don't walk away from each other when we're revealing the thing that's kept us in prison. And I would ask you to join me in David's prayer. David in Psalm 139 has this incredible prayer. It's a, it's a scary prayer. Be careful when you pray it. Because you might get revealed some things to you you didn't really want to know about. But David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Church, as disciples of Christ, that should be our daily prayer. God, show me where I need to be different and changed and transformed. Allow your spirit to soak into me and change the person I am in. Help me be brave enough to drop the mask and live the kind of life you've called me into. Show me where I need to be different. You see, hypocrisy is the gap between between what we show and who we are. And if that indeed is the gap, then the next question is, before we wrap up our time this morning, is then how do I take care of the gap? Well, I will tell you one thing. You don't close the gap with perfection. I've tried that, and none of us in here are perfect. All of us, church, need Jesus Christ. 
Every single one of us need Jesus Christ, and that's how we close the gap, with Jesus Christ. We give it all back to him, and we say, God, lead me, save me, redeem me, show me the person that I need to be, because, church, it is Jesus Christ who is our righteousness. Nothing that I do, but everything that Jesus does for me. He's my source of strength. He is my healing. He's my redemption. He brings me peace in my life, and he shows me the direction that I need to go. He offers forgiveness, grace, and mercy. He forgives me when no one else will. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He is the gap for us. And thank God he sent his son for us and to us. And so the challenge this morning is that you and I would let his Holy Spirit work within us and change us, make us different people. To understand that that when we decide to drop the mask, we're actually gaining freedom in the process. I want to reiterate that text from Proverbs. It's so powerful. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. At church this morning, we're all here saying in one voice and as we sing together and gather around the Lord's table, we believe that our Savior is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it's in Him that we have life. We want to leave this place reflecting that in every aspect of our life. And I know that there are some this morning, you're waiting for that special moment for when you're going to say yes to Jesus. You believe the story. You know that's what you need to do. But today, church, you need to take Jesus Christ into your heart. You need to accept him. Be baptized into his name. Fill with the Holy Spirit. You'll begin to change your story through the power of the Spirit living within you. And for some of us, we said yes at one time, but for whatever reason, the distractions of this world has got us sidetracked. And I want to ask our shepherds and their wives to go ahead and stand and gather along the wall of this room so you can see who they are. And as we sing this next song, there are some of us in here that just need to be reminded you are loved of God. He gave his son for you. He wants so much more for you that you would have the anxieties removed from your life so you can refocus on Jesus in your own life. And so as we sing this next song, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to go find one of those couples and let them pray for you and over you. God loves you so very much, and he wants so much for you in your life. May God continue to bless you as we begin to transformation by the Holy Spirit living within us. And let's stand as one family of God and raise our voices to his holy name.